Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Thanks, brother. Always good to be here. Um, and I don't know, whenever I'm around Greg, uh, I'm inspired. These last several months in particular, as I've watched Greg walk through uh, cancer, I've, I've been touched and moved. Having been, uh, my wife is a twice survivor of cancer, uh, so I've walked through the path of chemo and radiation and sickness and all those things, and Greg has done it with incredible grace. And I'm always humbled, too, when I'm around him. Uh, he, he is... Greg, you inspire me. I love listening to you. Um, even when you freeform and just are kind of uh, spontaneous, God just speaks through you in such a way. Lord God, this morning it's my prayer that people be blessed by you and in no way impressed with me. May I point the way to Jesus so that all of us can be free. In our home, we grew up with our two guys um, with a book we read all the time to our kids. But one book in particular that we seemed to come back to pretty regularly was a child's book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. How many of you have read that to your kids? You know, when we would read that to our kids, our kids would go, Man, you know, today hasn't been so bad. <laughs> we haven't had an Alexander kind of day. Um, but let's tell the truth. In the last several years, we've kind of lived through an Alexander season, haven't we? The pandemic was, was and continues to be tough on all of us. I want to present a question to you this morning and seek to answer it. What's been the worst day of your life? When uh, Melissa got my text and my message title, she said, I'm not sure I want to be there this morning. <laughs> What's your worst day? Maybe it's when you or one of your loved ones got the news of cancer. Maybe it was when one of your parents died. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe it was when you thought someone who was your friend betrays you. Some of you right now are back at that worst day of your life, aren't you? Thinking again about it. I can tell you what my worst day was. It was a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. It was on September 5th, 1987. It was Labor Day weekend. My wife and I were in the process of adopting our little girl. Allie was born to us. My wife helped in the delivery process and 
all of those things. We're so excited about everyone meeting. We've been through about 10 years of infertility and uh, finally had decided that adoption was the route we would take after our doctor said, yeah, you could conceive, but it would be kind of like the immaculate conception. Uh, We decided, well, maybe we better take a path. And Allie was born. We, We were so in love with her the minute our eyes met. We had been on a trip to the Northwest. I was pastoring in Grass Valley, California. We wanted everyone to meet Allie, this new joy in our life. And on our way home from Seattle, driving through the Northwest, my wife said, something's wrong. I said, no. She said, no, something's wrong. Now, you're just being paranoid. You're just... We got home, and the adoption agency that we were working through called us and said, you need to meet with the attorney. And we went to the attorney's office, and there he said, Allie's birth mom wants to have her baby back. And on that Labor Day weekend, September 5th, we circled in our living room and let Allie go. We joined hands and prayed together. And a part of me died that day. If you've walked through those kinds of times, you know how bad it can be. I'm glad that God's word speaks into the circumstances of our life, aren't you? And this morning I want us to take a look at one of our biblical heroes, King David, before he was king. You know, he had a number of horrible, very bad days, didn't he? Some of them brought on by himself, (laughs) his dalliance with Bathsheba and the consequences that brought him to be a murderer, or at least a conspirator in murder. A lot of other things that weren't very good happened to David. But I want us to look at one of those today that I believe was David's worst day ever. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. Hopefully you can either look that up on your... We're going to bring it up too, but... um, 1 Samuel 30, to kind of set the stage... David and about 600 men had been mercenaries. They had been um, warriors. They were trained warriors. And they had been fighting with the Philistine army. But the Philistine army, and in particular the commanders of the Philistine army, never fully trusted David because he wasn't a Philistine. And they believed somewhere along the line, and this is described in chapter 29, that he would betray them. And so Achish is assigned, who's David's confidant in this military situation, and he trusts David, but the commanders had given 
him the responsibility to go to David and tell him, you're no longer needed. You and your warriors are dismissed. Now you need to understand that was humiliating because they had fought faithfully. They'd never been those who betrayed the Philistine army. So they are marching on their way home from being dismissed, being humiliated, really, as being told, you're no longer needed. And that's where the story picks up in 1 Samuel 30. So let's, let's look at a little bit. We'll kind of try to break this down and uh, try to make it applicable to our own lives. So beginning with verse 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag, and they had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinema from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabob from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Let's break that down a little bit, okay? Can you imagine? You're already kind of feeling defeated, and you're headed home. And as you get close to your hometown, on the horizon you see the smoke rising. And you know something's not right. And as you get to your hometown, everything is gone. So not only have you been dismissed, but that homecoming that you were so looking forward to has now been canceled. It's not going to happen the way you had been playing it in your mind. Your loved ones are gone. Your wives are gone. Hmm. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> Human nature gets played out here for a moment. The men who had fought with David are so embittered towards David. But we're jumping the ship just a little bit early. It says that when they got there, everything is missing, and they wept until what? They could weep no more. Have you ever cried like that? Cried until there is nothing left. You are so weak and worn out. There are no tears in your tear ducts left. That's what it says of them, doesn't it? They had cried until they could cry no more. They had wept until they had, could no longer weep. They were so wrung out with sorrow. And out of that hurt and that discouragement and that pain, they look for somebody to blame. Don't they? <laughs> what happens? What happens? They blame David. 
out of their bitterness, they blame David and they say, it's all your fault. And David begins to become concerned that they're going to stone him. Talk about adding problem upon problem upon problem, layering it. David becomes so concerned and fearful for his life that one of these times while his back is turned, his men are going to stone him. This is the crucial moment. Everybody has a worst day ever. What do you do with it? Check it out. Verse 6 says what? But David found strength in the Lord his God. You have two alternatives whenever your worst days land on you. Either you look at the circumstances... And we all do that. That's being human, as Greg reminded us earlier. We're all human. We're not God. So we do weep. We do feel crushed. But what do we do out of that? David turned to the Lord his God and found strength. And we're going to see where that leads David. Tragedy for David turned him toward God. What does tragedy do for you and for me? Verses 7 through 9 continues the story. Then he said to Abinatar, the priest, bring me the ephob. So Abinatar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord said, told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Hmm. Now, a little bit about this. David does something that only priests to that point in time had ever done. The ephob was... Um, tucked in the, the pocket, in the fold of the high priest's robes. And uh, as I read it, they were like stones, almost like dice, if you will, that they would roll and try to find God's will. Now, I don't, I don't suggest that that's the way we do it in the 21st century, okay? But if you will, for a moment... It was like David taking out that magic eight ball. How many remember that from your kid childhood? You know, will she fall in love with me? Try again. Will she, you know, until you get the right answer, right? That's not the way to discern God's will today because God's given us his will in his word. But they didn't have the word. And God had given them a means. And so David uses these stones to ask God, if I go after them, if I chase after them, will I catch them? Will we be able to catch up with them? Perfectly good question, right? If we pursue, what will be the outcome? And God speaks to David through these stones, go after them. Go after them. You will surely recover everything 
that was taken from you. God answers, but here's the critical thing. God answers all of us every time we ask a question. Agreed? He either answers yes, no, or later. (laughs) Delay. Now, a lot of us determine that only God's answers of yes are answers. Am I not right? (laughs) You know, an awful lot of the time when God says no, we keep praying until we get that yes. The answer we want. When God gives you his word, here's what David does. Again, in his worst days ever, he, what, obeys. God says, go after them and you will recover all. And David believes him and obeys and goes after them. Verses 9 and 10. So David and the 600 men set out and they came to the brook Bezar. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Huh. 400 are ready to go. 200 say, we are still so exhausted. We, we can't go any further. And that's an important fact as the story unfolds. Some stay behind. A lot of us would have said, well, if they're going to stay behind, let's all stay behind. Let's wait till they're ready to go. But that's not what David and his men did. They got started. They started on the path towards, in their path of pursuit. Left 200 behind, now it's 400 in David in pursuit. We're going we're gonna to loop around to this towards the end, but I want to give you it right now as well. David and the 400 had no idea what the next step was. But they got started. If you wait till God unfolds the entire picture for you, you'll never start. I watched again yesterday afternoon as I was preparing this, a scene from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Do you remember this scene? Where he's at this precipice. And you know where it goes, don't you? And it says, he's like, that, and that's what it's called, the, the leap of faith that he takes. Remember what he has to do? He has to take a step before the bridge even appears. God asks that of all of us. Do you trust me enough to step out in faith without knowing what the outcomes will be? Will you do that? Don't you love that? Don't you hate that? I do. Man, I want to know. Okay, if I do this, what's going to happen? 
If I'm going to step out like that, I want to know where, where it's going to go. When you asked your wife to marry you, weren't you pretty sure she was going to say yes? Yeah. I would have never asked. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a fatalist. I don't want to put myself out there and then go, oh, I've misread all the signs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so they go after him. They take that leap of faith. Now, verses 11 through 15 tell us the next part of this. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake. Those would be fig newtons, I think. But anyway, a, a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from, David asked him. I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. He replied, my master abandoned me three days ago before I was, because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Canaanites in the Negev and the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziglag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. Next principle. God provides. But God provides in ways that you and I never anticipate. Who would have thunk? An Egyptian. At death's door. Did you notice in the story? Why was he left behind? Because he was so sick, they thought he was going to die and simply be dead weight, so to speak, <laughs> in the journey. But they come upon him, they give him some water, they give him some food, they give him some fig newtons, they give him some raisins, and he revives. And he becomes God's answer for them. He is God's guide for David and his men. Trust me, God uses people and circumstances and situations that you could have never anticipated to be his provision. You would have thought that God would have led them like he'd led his people before with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke or some other magnificent way out of the Ten Commandments story. But that wasn't the case. He took this Egyptian slave and used him to lead the children. Again, God's provision often comes from unbelievable sources, unimagined places, and through the most unlikely people. Has God done that in your life? Use the most unlikely people. I have one of the most profane neighbors across my cul-de-sac from me. I love him. 
but he has about the foulest mouth I've ever come across. But God has spoken to him, or to me through him, numerous times already in the two years we've lived together. Don't dismiss how God speaks, how God moves. Okay, we're getting to the good part. Verses 16 and 17. So he led David to them, this Egyptian slave, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. Now let's stop there just for a minute. Go back to that verse before we... Here's the setup. The Amalekites believe they are unconquerable. Right? They are so delighted with themselves that they are spread out across the fields. And as I can envision them, they are all singing and dancing. Celebrate good times. Come on. Well, they're a little, a little bit early on singing that. But that's their thought. They're drinking, they're dancing for joy because they have unmeasurable plunder. Now, verse 17. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. That last little phrase always, you know, it's like, like, they left on a horse with no name. Oh, no, that's a different song, isn't it? But, but you know, I think about that to myself. Why is that even there? Uh, because God cares about the details. It doesn't really add a great deal to the story, but it's there. But do you see what happens? God has made a way. They had partied. They were drunk. They were unprepared. And David and his men came in and slaughtered them throughout the night and into the entire next day. Um, that's incredible, isn't it? That's incredible. But let's look at the next several verses, 18 and following. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives... Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. Stop there for a minute. Nothing was missing. Say that with me. Nothing was missing. Our general director for the Church of God, Jim Lyon, says that one of the missions of the church of God today is to take back that which the enemy has stolen. That's the whole idea about pumpkin blast. Do you know that Halloween is actually All Hallows' Eve? It is to celebrate the martyrs who died for the faith. Our church fathers thought, let's combine some medieval heretical thought with so that everybody would celebrate. Bad idea. But, uh, but that's why we have Halloween. But we as believers have a good reason to celebrate Halloween. More important than that, any opportunity to penetrate the enemy's territory 
is a good thing. You and I are on a mission to take back everything the enemy has stolen. Do you think your child is lost? Not to God. Do you think a situation is unredeemable? Not to God. I have some friends who I've not given up on, who I pray for regularly, who I pray for more than their brothers and sisters pray for them because they're my friends. And I can't imagine eternity without them. I want to be right next to the gate when the enemy thinks I've got them and be able to at that last moment snatch them out of the enemy's hands and redeem them for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom. Somebody say amen. Man, I mean, that's what our mission is. David and his men recovered everything. They took back what the enemy had stolen. Verse 21. Okay, oh, we could go to 20. He also received all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. The plunder belongs to the Lord, they said. So as they're driving the livestock and all of the plunder, they keep saying, the plunder belongs to David. The plunder belongs to David. Verse 21 then tells us, Then David returned to the brook Bizar, or Bezor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind. Now you thought they were not a part of the story, but they really are. Because they were too exhausted to go with him, they went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. See, they're still part of the team. Even though they stayed behind, David greets them joyfully. You're mine. You still belong. You're still part of the, of the warring party, if you will. Even though you didn't go with us. Go on. But, some of the evil troublemakers among David's men said, now wait a minute, you mean not everybody in the church is for the church? Ooh. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters says that some of the best workers for the enemy, for the kingdom of darkness, are in the church. That's church with a little C, not a big C. <laughs> okay, are you with me? Not everybody who's in your warring party, did he? Let's look at one more verse. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders who attacked us. I love David. I love David because of this. He says, the battle and the plunder, although you have announced was mine, isn't mine at all. It all belongs to him. Right? Isn't that what he says? The Lord gave us this. The Lord gave us the victory. The Lord gave us back the plunder. There's one other verse later 
that says, and he shared it with the elders of Judah. You know, just like a blessing. He just, he was like, let's just bless everybody with this plunder because God has been so good. Hmm. On the back of your calendar, in your bulletin, I want you to write down a few principles that we, we dig out here. There are some lessons about what to do on your very worst days. One, seek God. No, it's not on the back of your calendar. You have to write it in. <laughs> uh, my brother and, and I know Greg, that they, I'm old school, okay? I, I, I grew up and preached before you had the fill in the blanks. I love I love going there. I can't seem to prepare my messages for fill in the blank. But that's neither here nor there. First of all, in your worst days, seek God. Don't look at the circumstances. Seek God. If you look at the circumstances, they will always overwhelm you. They will always defeat you. They will always immobilize you. Seek God. Second, trust God. It's not enough to just seek him. You've got to trust him. You've got to believe that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That he who goes before you will win the battle, as we sang earlier. The battle belongs to him. Third lesson. When you're in your very worst days, Go without having all the answers. If you wait to have the answers, you will remain, you'll be the frozen chosen. You, know? you will never move, right? You'll never go. Another lesson. God works in the most unexpected ways. The Egyptian God works, as, as Scripture says, God works in mysterious ways, wondrous ways, unexpected ways in people. Another good lesson is teamwork. David didn't recover the plunder by himself. He had a team. You've got to have some people around you. You'll never storm the gates of hell by yourself. You just won't have the gumption to do it. There's an old word for you. My grandmother used gumption. You gotta have gumption. You gotta have that visceral gut that says, I will team up with some people. I would have never made it this 50 some odd year adventure with Christ without some people who walked it out with me. And we teamed up together and said, we will not let one another fall. We locked arms and are prepared to march into heaven together. Amen? Teamwork. We could, we could use this adage that every good athletic teamwork makes the dream work. You know, every, that is true. It's true. And 
Finally, I know there's more lessons than this, but finally, this lesson, be generous with all that God has given. Don't hold on to it tightly. God expects his people to be open-handed, amen? Not closed fist, but open-handed. Be generous. David said, we're going to share it with everybody. We're even going to share it with people who don't know that anything happened. We're going to send it to the elders of Judah and just bless them. When I lived in Grass Valley, I pastored grass, in Grass Valley uh, for about eight years back in the 80s. And uh, while I was there, um, I, I didn't have anything but an AM radio in my car. And there was really, in Grass Valley, only one AM radio station you could even get. KNCO. And at 11.45, almost every day, Monday through Friday, 11.45, I'd make sure that I had the radio turned on. Because at 11.50, one of my favorite radio personalities would come on. Paul Harvey. Loved Paul Harvey. Loved his stories. Man, his stories can preach. Remember my worst day ever? September 5th, 1987. December 8th, 1987, my son Andrew was born in a hospital in Vancouver, Washington. Because of our story, a pastor in Vancouver knew about us and said, I think I'm counseling a woman who's going to give up her baby. Would you guys be interested? We said yes. And Andrew was born... He's 35 years old today, lives in Portland, Oregon. That same church, a different pastor in June of 1989, called us and said, I'm, past I'm pastoring a woman who has been a meth user for at least first two trimesters of her pregnancy. She didn't even know she was pregnant. I think she'll give up her baby. And Jordan, my other son, was born. On June 5th, 1987, I would have never anticipated what would happen in December 8th, 1987, and June 25th, 1989. And as Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. God works out our worst days into remarkable places for us to live our lives in. whatever worst day you're going through, and you, some of you are going through it right now. Know that God may not work it out the way you think it will work out, but God will work out his circumstances. He'll help you take back what the enemy has stolen. He will turn your mourning into dancing. He will take the dark night of your soul 
and bring joy in the morning. Be encouraged, church. Your worst day ever is only your worst day to you, not to our Heavenly Father, who sees all things, who the night is like day. That's a whole other sermon we could preach, huh? God works on the night shift. <laughs> Can't you hear the Commodore sing? No, who sings that song? Anyway, never mind. Squirrel, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit ADD, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Yep. <laughs> Lord, yeah, now you really know the rest of my story. Uh, you know what my wife has put up with for 45 years of marriage. Woo, who would have known? Anyway, let's pray. Father God, you who can take any and all of our circumstances. And while they're not all good, we've all had worse days ever. And I'm not the kind of person who says, well, praise the Lord anyway. It hurts. We've cried ourselves until we can cry no more. But the reality is, that you are bigger than all of our circumstances because your son came and lived and was rejected, was humiliated, had worse days ever. The cross was a pretty bad day. But you were working out his best and our best in those moments. Lord God, never let us forget. Never let us shy away from taking back what the enemy has stolen. May that happen in somebody's life tomorrow night in the parking lot and in this room and throughout this property. May someone who simply thought they were bringing their kids to get candy and such may they receive the best gift they could ever get. Thank you that you've asked us to cooperate with you, invited us to cooperate with you. God, bless this church. Be with Greg and Emily and the staff here. We're praying for not just full recovery, but, but Lord God, more than that, Lord God, we're praying for New days at foundation. We're praying, Lord God, that this would be a place, a light on a hill, salt that seasons the culture. We know that you long for nothing else. Thank you, Lord God, for this moment, these days. Let us not walk away from David's experience and forget it. Lord, would you imprint some of the lessons that your words taught us this morning for the next worst day that comes our way, we pray. Amen.